Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. It's been amazing to me. This is our third straight week studying and going through the first 17 verses of Acts 12. Uh, This is our 35th message in the book of Acts. We've been going verse by verse through this book. We started this series over a year ago, last June, having no idea the the current events where we would find ourselves in, in, in July of 2020. But it's been amazing to see where God has us and how he has spoken to me personally through his word. And as we've just systematically studied through this book, how God has given us exactly what we need in July 2020. Finish the statement, if you will. Perception is what? Reality. Have you ever heard that statement? Have you heard that before? Perception, and I've got a little bit of a ring here, Jeremiah, I'm sorry. Perception is reality. We've heard that, and it's not really true that perception is reality, but it is true that perception is is very powerful in our lives. Perception is not reality because perception is based upon our senses, what we see, what we smell, what we hear, what we think. It's based upon the things around us. And how many of you have figured out like me that sometimes our senses, our feelings, the things we see, the things we hear, that sometimes we misinterpret those things. They're not always what they seem to be. And so Perception is not necessarily reality, but perception is very powerful. Our perception of things is powerful. Let me illustrate. How many of you, I've got right here a box of candy. I should have done this when the kids were still here. How many of you, you like jelly beans? Let me see. You like jelly beans? Any of you? Jelly bellies? Those are my favorites. I think those were President Reagan's favorite. If I've read right, he always had a a jar of jelly bellies on Air Force One. I've been to, in Northern California, the Jelly Belly Factory. And uh, I've, I've been there where they make them. If you're ever up there, it's a fun thing. I need a volunteer or two. How many of you, somebody that likes Jelly Belly is willing to come up here for just a minute and help me out? I'm not necessarily a trick. I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going. We've got one right here. Kyle, come on up. Is there anybody else? Wants some Jelly Bellies? Come on up. Anybody else? I'm looking around. All right, Lynn, come on up. Come on up, Lynn. And uh, we've got Jelly Bellies. I'm going to let you, we, we're trying not to touch things that other people touch right now, right? So I guess put your hand out there uh, so that you're not putting your hand where Lynn's going to put hers take that. And uh, have you ever seen any of these flavors before, Lynn? You ever seen any of those Jelly Bellies? You haven't. Kyle, have you ever seen any of those? I have. I I see one of my favorites on there is the Juicy Pear. They also have right in there, I see uh, buttered popcorn. There's the toasted marshmallow. Any of you ever had any of those Jelly Belly flavors? Uh, I've enjoyed those. I don't know if you've seen this before, but how do you feel right now about eating those jelly beans, Kyle? Pretty good. Pretty good? How do you feel? Good. Pretty good? I know you've seen this. This is the Jelly Belly. It's called Bean Boozled. Anybody ever seen this before? It's a game you can play. What they've done is they've taken their regular flavors and they put some of those in the box. And then they've taken ones that look exactly the same and they've given them a secondary flavor. So the Juicy Pear, which is that green one with the spots right there, one of my favorites. It could be Juicy Pear or it could be Booger flavor. The coconut one right here, Lynn, that all white one, could be coconut or it could be spoiled milk. I'm looking here. Let's see the chocolate pudding. There's a chocolate pudding right there. 
could be chocolate pudding or it could be canned dog food. There's one, dead fish. There is toothpaste, dirty dishwater, barf, stinky socks, and stink bug. Now, Kaya, how are you feeling about eating those jelly beans? I have no fear. No fear. Lynn, are you fe- how are you feeling now about eating those? A little different? I-, I won't force you to... You can try one if you want. Go ahead, Kyle. Try the juicy pear. Tell us if juicy... Oh, oh. Go, Kyle. Go ahead. Kyle, go for it. You can- I, don't- I have no idea whether that- it's going to be juicy... Juicy, stinky, spoiled milk, socks, pudding, chocolate, buttered popcorn. You you can have a seat there, Kyle. I won't make you eat those, Lynn. You can decide if you and Bob want to eat those. You can be seated. Give them a round of applause there. What's the illustration? If I had not told them anything when we brought them both up, their perception was these were regular jelly beans, and their feeling, their emotion about that, both of them, how do you feel about eating jelly beans? I feel great. Kyle has some some issues, uh, emotional problems, I guess, or something. And so he still feels great. But most of us, when we found out the reality, it, it changes our perception. Then it changes our feelings about that, right? This morning I want from Acts chapter number 12, I want to bring a message entitled Perception Versus Reality. Knowing the truth changes how we feel about things and Perception is a powerful thing. Even in recent days in, our, in Orange County, in California, in America, and around the world, so many of our actions, our reactions, our thought processes, our behaviors are determined by how we perceive things to be going. It was interesting. I remember when the NBA shut down back in March. We all went to work and we knew there was a virus. We knew there was a sickness. But all of a sudden, they were getting ready to play. If I remember right, it was a Thunder game in Oklahoma City. And all of a sudden, an official ran out on the court. They were all warming up. And the perception of everyone in that stadium that came, it was a full stadium. I, I went to a Thunder game in Oklahoma in February. Fun atmosphere. And it was a month later. The perception an hour before that was, yeah, there's a virus in our country, but it's not that big of a deal. One person ran out. We've got two positive tests. And all of a sudden, everybody's perception of the virus changed. So what happens? Their behaviors change. I'm not even saying it was wrong to cancel or to do that, but our perception of something very quickly, the reality of the situation wasn't much different for every person in that stadium. When they walked into that stadium, there were two players that had the virus and maybe some others in the stands, but their perception, perception is a powerful thing. No matter where you may land on that, and my message is not about our perception of the virus. My message is much deeper and much more important than that from God's word, but, but an illustration of the power of those things. In Acts in chapter number 12, we're going to look at the story that we, we studied through two weeks ago, Acts 12, verses 1 through 17. For those, I know we have many that are guests here today. For those that might not have been here, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of, of the story we're going to read. Where are we in the Bible? The location is Jerusalem. We're in Jerusalem. When are we? The time frame is a decade after Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus has been in heaven, back ascended back to heaven for about a decade. We're in Jerusalem. What's going on? The gospel has been going forth in amazing ways. Recently to Gentiles, to those that were non-Jews, God is spreading the gospel. And by the way, I've said this over and over again, but it's very fitting for the time and age in which we find ourselves. The gospel breaks down every political barrier. It breaks down every racial barrier. It breaks down every societal barrier. The gospel is for everyone. And we've seen that in the book of Acts, and that is where our unity is, and that is where our joy is. We see the gospel going forth in great ways. 
But in Jerusalem, what we see is some government opposition. The disciples are being persecuted. The first disciple to be martyred for his faith, James, has been beheaded. Now, maybe the most famous or well, not famous is the right word, maybe the most well-known uh, uh, disciple, Peter, is sitting on death row. He's in jail a day away from being executed because King Herod uh, is not friendly to the church. The, the king there is not happy about Christians, about believers. That's where we find ourselves. And, and, and so we're going to jump into Acts chapter number 12. And, and this morning we're going to seek to make much of the Bible as we do every Sunday. Would you follow along if you have a copy of God's Word or an app there on your device? Acts 12, beginning in verse number 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. He was beheaded there. And because he saw it please the Jews, he was a politician. Hey, the people are happy about this. I'm going to do more of what makes the people happy. He proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. That just means 16 soldiers, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Verse 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. By the way, church, the church's first response to opposition, to persecution, to all of those things, our first response, in my opinion, should be prayer. Often it's our last resort. And, and, and they went to prayer. Verse 6, and when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, the night before he was about to be brought forth to be killed, Peter was sleeping. That was last week's message, asleep on death row. He was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. I told you last week, it's kind of like if you have kids trying to get them to church this morning. You went in and hit them on the side. Wake up. It's time to get up. Get up. Get your shoes on. Get dressed. Some of you maybe had, had a little issue with teenagers or we've got five kids in our house trying to get them out of bed. Get them dressed. Let's get to church. The, the angel comes and Peter's chains fall off and the angel says, Peter, wake up. Let's go. Verse number uh, eight. And the angel said unto him, gird thyself, get dressed, put your shoes on. So he did. And he saith unto him, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. Notice this. Verse number nine. And he went out and followed him. Notice Peter's perception. And wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. How many of you, you wake up, you're a little groggy, you haven't had your first cup of coffee, and you're like, is, am I dreaming or am I awake? Is this real or not? Anybody been there? And, uh, and, and I've been there before. That's Peter. His perception is, this is just a weird dream the day before I'm about to die. That's his perception. Notice verse number nine, and he went out and followed him. And I'm sorry, verse 10. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street and forthwith the angel departed from him. Get the picture. Peter's in jail. Normally they would tie a prisoner to one guard so that he, that he wouldn't escape. Because the disciples had already been imprisoned and God had already delivered all 12 of them, he's now chained them to two guards. The, the angel came in, woke him up, broke his chains, hit him on the side. Peter, let's get up. What are you, who are you? What's going on? Is this a dream? He stands up. He's walking through. The gate opens automatic doors before they had automatic doors. The gate opens automatically. He walks out, and now the angel's gone. Peter is standing in the street. It, the, he just went from, I'm on death row, about to die tomorrow for my faith, to now, 
I just escaped prison, and if they catch me, I'm going to still die tomorrow because my faith, and now I'm a prison, I'm an escapee. And so he's standing out there. The angel is gone. Notice verse number uh, 11. And when Peter was come to himself, notice his reality. When he was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety, reality, that the Lord hath sent his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod. And from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Again, perception was different from reality. Everybody expected Peter to die tomorrow. That was their perception. Verse number 12, and when he had considered the thing, when he considered the reality, it changed his behavior. He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. This is a a humorous portion of the story. Verse 13, and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, thou art mad. You're crazy. You've lost your mind. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when he had opened, when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to his brethren and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Get the story. I'm going to give you the story so that we're all on the same page. And I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts and a few applications and we'll be done. Here's the story. Peter in jail. Angel comes, wakes him up. He stands up. He goes out. He comes. He says, where would they be? I don't know exactly. Maybe he knew where they were staying in Jerusalem. Obviously, he knew. I don't know how he knew that they were all there, but he comes to the house. I bet they're over there at at, at Mark's house. I bet they're over there at his mom's house. So they go over there, and he knocks on the door, and there's a a damsel, a, a young lady that comes to the door, one of the followers of Christ. And Peter said, she said, who is it? And he said, it's me, Peter. Let me in. She said, number one, how could that be? But number two, that is Peter. That's his voice. I know his voice. She's so excited. She forgets to open the door. The prison escapee is standing out there. She runs back in. They're all praying. Picture it. Disciples all in the room. Lord, would you deliver Peter? Would you, would you please work through the church? God, would you, would you give us strength and would you give us courage and would you give us faith? And God, we know you can do anything. And she runs in and she says, hey guys, Peter's here. And all of these amazing spiritual leaders these amazing people of faith, you know what their response was? You're crazy. That's not Peter. Now, God's great. I don't, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but kind of you under, I know God can do anything, but like God can't do that. You ever felt that way? I believe, held down my unbelief. And, 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 and he says, no, it's Peter. You're crazy. You've, you've lost your mind. You've been up. It's too late. It's the middle of the night. You need to go get some rest, Rhoda. No, it's not Peter. And though it's Peter, I'm telling you, it says she constantly affirmed. Like this wasn't one time they believed her. She, it's Peter, it's Peter. Come, somebody come check with me. Uh, it's Peter. And now picture the other side of the door. It's Peter. I'm here, I got out, and these people won't let me in. Then they say, it's, it's not Peter, it's probably his angel. Probably his angel is there, you heard his voice, whatever it was. It's not Peter. Finally, they go and check. And guess what they found out? The reality was, it was Peter. Their perception was, it couldn't be Peter. The reality was, it was Peter. They open the door and then they burst into excitement. Peter! And Peter's like, shut up. I can say that because all the kids are in their classes, right? We tell our kids not to say, oh, I got a little one right here. Uh, Be quiet. I'm not supposed to say that in front of the kids. Be quiet. Would you be quiet? I'm not supposed to be out. Nobody's supposed to know. Yes, it's me, but keep your voices down. 
They go into the house. They talk for a while. He says, hey, go tell James. I believe that's the half-brother of Jesus, one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. Go tell James and the other Christians, our God, as we sang one of the songs, how great is our God? Our God is great. Go tell them. Go let them know. And then it says, Peter went to another place. I know they're going to come looking for me here, so I'm going to go somewhere else. That is the story. And we've studied this passage for three weeks. I want to give us a couple of perceptions, uh, really two main groups. And number one, I want us to see, and I think they apply so, so, uh, so well to where we find ourselves today as believers in 2020 in Orange County, in California, in America. Maybe if there are some, we have some that every week watch from other countries in the world today. And I want you to see a few things that I think we can, we can in, in infer from this passage, the perception, number one, I want you to see the perceptions of discouraged believers. The perceptions of discouraged believers. Now, now think if you were the disciples, let's put ourselves in their boat. If the disciples, James just got killed and Peter is in prison, do you think this is the high point of their Christian experience? Do you think this is the most exciting day they've been living in? I think they were humans just like us. I think we could infer from the, the circumstances, there were probably some believers that were a little bit fearful. In fact, we find after Jesus left, they, they hid in a house for fear of the Jews. As persecution came and as opposition came, we find, I believe, some believers that were fearful, that were uncertain, that were somewhat discouraged. And, and we see some perceptions. And may I say, I, I've been on some social media. I've, I've met with and counseled with some folks. I've, I've been on some conference calls with other pastors. I've, I've, I've done some things in the last six months. I would say that there are some discouraged believers in these days. And I want us to see the perception the perceptions of discouraged believers, what is one of the perceptions that I believe they were facing and that we sometimes face? Number one is that the church is vulnerable. Their perception, I believe, was that the church is vulnerable. James just got killed. Stephen had been stoned a few years ago. Uh, Peter's about to die. There, there have been, they have been imprisoned. Every one of the, 12, the 11 disciples after Judas have been imprisoned and beaten for preaching the name of Christ. There have been some rough seasons in the decade following Christ's death, and, and you'll, you'll see them again hiding for fear of the Jews. I, I believe that we could, I think without reading too far into that, believe that there were some uh, disciples, some followers of Christ here that believed the church is vulnerable. Following Jesus is a dangerous proposition. And, and may I say today, I, I think there is a sentiment, maybe unlike before in any of our lifetimes, in America at least, that the church is vulnerable. The governor of California, well, you can't sing. And again, it's not a political rant, uh, but, but we hear that and then you'll see Christians talking about, well, what's going to happen? Where are our freedoms going? And then, well, well, we're asking you not to meet inside. And so we pivoted seeking to be respectful of that. And, and we've gathered outside now the last two Sundays. But, but this feeling almost like before we've, at least in my lifetime, I've been a Christian for 32 years. I've never quite felt it like this, that the church is kind of vulnerable. We're, we're, we're not really making in some ways maybe some of our own decisions. 
There are decisions from the federal government, from the president, from the governor. And by the way, lest we start feeling sorry for ourselves, I was talking with a missionary to Laos and, and Thailand yesterday at a coffee appointment. There, we have it much, much better than almost every country. I've talked to many missionaries in the last three or four months. Their shutdowns and their government restrictions, almost everyone that I've talked to are far more onerous than anything that we have walked through. But there's this feeling in, sometimes in 2020 of the church is vulnerable. Secondly, the second perception of discouraged believers, I believe what you would see here is the world is stronger. The church is vulnerable and the feeling, the perception, the world is stronger. James is dead. Stephen's dead. We've been imprisoned. We've left, we've got, we got kicked out of our houses. We had to scatter from Jerusalem because of persecution. By the way, what did it say? The expectation of all the people everybody felt like we can do whatever we want to the believers, to the Christians. Talk to me. The, 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 the church is vulnerable. What's the first one? The first perception the church is what? That's the perception of a discouraged believer. Secondly, the world is stronger. What is it? The world is what? Stronger. Sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? In America in 2020. I, I, and again, I'm just basing on current events, but, but things that, and you'll, you'll hear about a Christian somewhere in some arena seeking to take a stand for what they believe in and being castigated for it. It can feel like as you turn on the news and you turn on the television, the world seems to be stronger. It can be a perception of ours. Number three, the third perception, tragedy is inevitable. Pastor Ryan, how do you know that was their perception? Well, what did they respond when, the, when Rhoda told them Peter's at the door? No way not possible. His death is inevitable. It's over. There is no good coming from this. We're not going to see Peter again. You're crazy. You've lost your mind. When they saw him, they were astonished. They were completely shocked. Tragedy is inevitable. They, they were trying to exercise their faith in the midst of their heartache, but their perception was that tragedy was inevitable. And listening to some Christians today, that seems to be our perception. Tragedy is inevitable. America is gone. I don't know how 2020 can get any worse. California is gone. What's become of our nation? Life as we know it is over. If the person that I vote for in November doesn't get elected, there's no hope for our kids and our grandkids. Have you seen any sentiment like that anywhere in your personal conversations or on your social media feed or on your news channels? What does that say for the life of the believer? Tragedy is inevitable. We're just going to, I, I feel like we have too many Eeyore Christians. You remember Winnie the Pooh? Remember Eeyore, the character? Eeyore walked around, always losing his tail, always talking like this. It's a beautiful day, Eeyore. Well, I guess it might be, whatever. You know, and he always, and, and we're kind of Eeyore Christians if we're not careful. Did you see the latest news? Yeah, I've never seen it this bad of you. Did you hear the latest statistics? We're all going to be dead soon. The world is ending. We can't meet inside our churches. The governor, the president, Biden, Trump. And if we're not careful, it's a feeling of hopelessness. It's a feeling of tragedy is inevitable. What are we going to do? And we, we see that, by the way, these disciples here were not the first followers of God to face these perceptions. 
We see that perception of Jonah, the, the, the idea that he believed the circumstances around him were stronger than the God above him. It led Jonah, I'm not Jonah, I'm sorry, uh, Job, it led him to pray, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. That a follower of God, Job, what I would call in New Testament terminology, the greatest Christian on earth, the greatest believer on earth, he got to a place that he said, God, it's no point for me living. Why did you let me be born? His perception of the things around him caused him to lose sight of the God above him. And it led him, his, his perception was not reality. God had not left him. His life was not hopeless. His, his life was not purposeless. His God was not powerless. But his perception was there's no point to this thing anymore. God, would you please just take my life? Elijah, the one that preached so powerfully, also said in 1 Kings 19, verse number 10, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel, I have forsaken, they have forsaken thy covenant. They have thrown down thine altars. They have slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What did he say? I lived for you, but there's no point. Everybody has betrayed you. The world is gone. The God, you're, I'm the only one left that loves you and they're about to kill me. Was that reality, church? Yes or no? That wasn't the reality. In fact, God told him when he prayed that, God said, hey, Elijah, I want to tell you there are 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. One versus 7,000 is very different. I'm the only one left. No, there are 7,000. And if we're not careful, uh, Elijah had these perceptions and Job had these perceptions. Jonah had these perceptions. Uh, these disciples had these perceptions. But then I want to give you the second half of the message, not only the perceptions of discouraged believers, but I want you to see from this passage the reality of devoted believers. The reality, I, I said it, we say perception is reality. Not true. But often perception is our reality and it affects our thinking and it affects our actions and it affects our spirit and it affects our perception affects our marriages and it affects our families and it affects our children. We saw the perception of discouraged believers. I want you to see the reality of devoted believers. And these three, we see it from this passage, are in direct opposition to the perceptions we saw earlier. The reality is, number one, church, that the church is protected. The church is protected. I said their perception was the church is vulnerable. May I say this? The church is protected. I don't care what a human government, by the way, in places where the government says you cannot meet, the church flourishes. In Acts, when the government said there is no religious liberty, the church flourished. Our, our, our church succeeding, by the way, because the purpose of the church is spreading the gospel, our church succeeding in our purpose is not dependent upon religious liberty or government authority or government permission. The church and the gospel has thrived all around the world throughout centuries with governments that we're opposed to it. And we're not walking through persecution in America, but I would say there is some opposition in America. And that opposition may turn to persecution, but we need to remember the church is protected. I don't care how vulnerable the church feels. Jesus Christ himself promised divine protection for his bride in Matthew. He said in Matthew 16, 18, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There have been governmental leaders that tried to, to squash the church and tried to eliminate Christians, and they succeeded in martyring some Christians, but the church 
is protected. You and I might be walking through some new roads as believers in America in 2020, but, church, but Christian, do not lose hope. The church is protected. What did he say in John chapter 16, verse 33? He said, these things I have, Jesus speaking, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. That in me ye might have what, church? You might have, ye shall have tribulation, he said. He promised it. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. What did he say? You're going to have trials, but the church is protected. Don't lose sight of that. And again, you say, but our religious liberty is under attack. Pastor Ryan, didn't you read about the Supreme Court ruling in Nevada that said casinos can be open with hundreds, but churches can't have more than 50? Didn't you read about that? The church is vulnerable, Pastor Ryan. Oh no, the church is protected. Now, the church may have to pivot, and the church may have to make some adjustments, and, and there is some opposition. And you may be right that what we are seeing is opposition to our religious liberty, but God, again, did not promise us religious liberty from the government, but he did promise us divine protection and blessing from above. American Christian, those that are watching and those that are here under the sound of my voice, do not conflate our American freedoms with our biblical promises. If they take every religious liberty away tomorrow, the church will move forward in America tomorrow. The church is protected. Yes, some of the freedoms and comforts we've enjoyed in America for centuries may be under attack in certain circles. And somewhere down the road may even be lost. But again, God did not tell us to serve him as long as the First Amendment was being upheld. He told us to serve him no matter what the human government puts into place. I want you to turn. This is the second passage we're going to read. This is the longest one. I want you to follow it along because it's beautiful. It, it, it hits this right here. Matthew chapter 10, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel according to Matthew. I want you to see the words of our Savior. And I'll wrap this up in just a moment. I've got uh, a couple more thoughts and we'll be done. I want you to see Matthew chapter number 10, verse number 16. Jesus preparing his disciples for difficult days. And I'm not ignorant. I understand some of the difficulties and there are lawsuits against churches and from churches in our country right now. And, and there is what I would call some, in some ways, uh, un, un not, not right government overreach in some places. I, I understand all of that. But I want you to see the words of our Savior speaking to his disciples. Matthew 10, verse 16. If you're there, would you follow along? The Bible says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. This is the promise he told the disciples. For they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. They're going to beat you. And you'll be brought forth before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, when you're persecuted for your faith, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver a brother to death. Families are going to turn on each other. The father, the child, the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men. Notice this, for my name's sake. By the way, we're not there in America, but he's promising this to his disciples. You'll be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. Be wise. Try to get out of there so you can keep preaching. 
For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The church is protected. You're going to keep preaching. Jesus is going to come back before they can kill out the church. Verse 24, the disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and his servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house, speaking of Jesus, Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not therefore. Do you see that church there? Verse 26, would you read those first four words aloud? Ready, begin. Fear them not therefore. Don't be scared of what they can do to you. Fear them not therefore. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak you in light and what you hear in the ear, preach it on the housetops. Verse 28, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body. I was going to read to verse 42 for the sake of time. I'll stop there. You can read the rest of that passage on your own. It's beautiful. But I think we get the idea. What was Jesus telling his followers? What was he telling the disciples? When it gets bad down here, look up there. When you don't understand what's happening down here, I'm still in control. And, and don't be scared of those that can kill the body but can't do anything with the soul. But be aware and reverential and, and respect and honor the one that is in control of all of this. What is he telling them? But Brother Steve, he's telling them the church is protected. How did you get that seat right there? That's like a really good high dollar seat. I'm not sure how that happened right there. Number two, look back and there's a guy staring at me. The church is protected. Number two, I want you to see the perspective, their percept, the reality. I mean, their perception was not only that the church is vulnerable, but their perception was the world is stronger. What's the reality? God is stronger. God is stronger. You see verse number, oh, we're not there, but in Acts 12, verse seven, the world did everything they could to imprison Peter. And it took one angel and all the chains were gone and all the doors were open. God, it doesn't matter what the world does. God is stronger. Christian, don't forget that. If you've been on Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and Facebook and social media and Twitter and every lunch conversation is this and fear and that, and if we're not careful, our focus can be, man, the world is stronger. Christian, I'm here to tell you today for about 35 minutes that God, not on this one point, but total, about 35 minutes, that God is stronger. God is stronger. We serve a chain-breaking, prison-shaking Savior. It's what he did for Peter. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Christian, I don't know all that you're facing, but God is stronger. I don't know where you feel weak, but it is in your weakness that he can reveal his strength. I don't know where you feel vulnerable, but he is powerful. Rest in his strength. Abide under his wings. Find joy in his presence. Consider turning off the news some and jumping into his word more. Get off social media some and get to his house and his church more. Let's stop talking about the power of the men around us and start meditating upon the power of the God above us. If we're in the auditorium, if we're in the auditorium right now, that would be up on the screens. If you wanted to write that one down, that's another one of those quote-worthy ones. I normally come up, it takes me a week, I come up with one good quote a week. Let's stop talking about the power of the men around us and start meditating on the power of the God above us. And then the last reality you've listened well. Not only the church is protected and God is stronger, but they believe tragedy was inevitable. And some of us, I think, believe the same thing. And here's the reality that they found out. Victory is inevitable. Victory is inevitable for the, the child of God, for the believer. As one songwriter said, he said, I read the back of the book and we win. Victory is inevitable. We are more than conquerors 
through him that loved us so. Again, John 16, the verse I already read for you. These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Victory is inevitable. How many sports fans in here? I was on ESPN last night. I love sports. It's weird watching empty baseball stadiums with cardboard cutouts and, uh, and empty NBA courts. I saw some highlights uh, from an NBA scrimmage last night, and, and uh, it's weird seeing those things. But I love sports. I've coached uh, high school basketball for close to 20 years. I, I enjoy sports. And, and back when we had sports that we could go to, not the cardboard cutouts, but we could go to, uh, the Dodgers, did the Dodgers win this week? Where's Javen at? Oh, did Dodgers, Dodgers won a game? All right. And uh, before we had that, have you ever recorded a game to watch it later? And then you knew the score? Anybody ever done that? I've done that. You recorded a game. To, some of you are like, I don't watch sports. I haven't missed them at all during the last six months. But I've recorded sports. And I, and I found out the score. I went back to watch it later, but I knew the score. And, and let's say it was a football game of maybe the greatest team in the uh, NFL, the San Francisco 49ers. Let's say I recorded a game. And let's say they were playing maybe the worst team in the NFL, the Seattle Seahawks. Let's say just for the sake of illustration. And let's say the final score was 24 to 17, Niners beat the Seahawks, because that's normally what happens. And let's say that it was 24, and I knew the score. And let's say I got home and I turned it on with my boys. Hey boys, this would be good. Get that. And I'm watching it. And Russell Wilson, like he always does, somehow gets lucky, gets out of the sack, falling down, throws it over the back of his helmet, and some receiver catches it, and they score a touchdown, and it's 7 to 0. And then we get the ball back and we're driving. And Jimmy G, maybe the greatest quarterback in the history of the game. No, I don't know about that. But he drops back to, to pass the ball. And, uh, and as the Seahawks are wanting to do, he, their cornerback completely shoves our receiver to the ground. And the refs don't throw the flag. And he gets an interception, the Seahawks cornerback, and runs it back and scores. And now it's 14 to 0. And we haven't scored in the first quarter or the second quarter. And right before halftime, the Seahawks, their kicker comes out and he shanks it, but it hits the side upright and somehow rolls in. And now it's 17 to zero, halftime, 17 to zero. How do you think I'm going to feel? What's my reality going to be if I know the final score? Now, the first thing I'm probably going to do is pull my phone back out to make sure I saw the right score, right? Are we sure it was 24-17? I'm going to check and I'm going to go to another website. Is that fake news? Okay, I'm going to go to another one, 24-17. Find the right score. Once I find out the final score, do you think as I watch the second half, I'm going to watch it with anxiety or am I going to watch it with anticipation? Which one? Anxiety or anticipation? Anticipation. I'm not going to be scared. Well, I wonder, you know what? I'm going to be excited. I can't wait to see what happens. We, we shut Russell Wilson. I was going to call him a name, but I'm trying to be nice. Today. We shut him out for a whole half. I can't wait to see how we sack him. I can't wait to see who fumbles and we pick it up. I can't wait to see how we score 24 points. I can't wait to see how this thing ends. Why? Because I know the final score. And the final score brings me comfort. It brings me excitement. It brings me anticipation. There is no anxiety as I watch us losing in the first half because I know the way that the game ends. And church family, what I want to say to you this morning is there should be no anxiety for 
for the believer because we know the way that all of this ends if we know Jesus Christ as Savior. And we should be watching as signs of the times unfold around us. We should be watching with anticipation, not anxiety. The Bible says, be careful for nothing, full of care, anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and that God of peace that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I will watch the rest of that game with anticipation. Why? Because I looked at the final score and we win. You've stayed with me. Can I wrap it up with one last passage? Turn to 2 Corinthians 4. I want, I want you to look at the final score of how all this is going to turn out for the believer so that we can live with anticipation and not anxiety. Perception versus reality. 2 Corinthians, if I can find it, it's somewhere here in the middle of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and 2 Corinthians. I want you to see the final score, church. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 8. Please follow along. I want you to see this. This, this passage wraps it all up. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We are troubled on what side, church? On yet not what? We are perplexed, but not in. Persecuted, but not. Cast down, but not always bearing about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Notice this. So then what, church in verse 12? Then what? Death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Verse 14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Because Jesus won the victory over death, we know that we're going to win the victory over death because we know how it turned out for Jesus. We know how it turns out for us. Verse six, uh, 15, for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Here it is, verse 16, and we're, we're going to finish the last three verses. For which cause, next three words, church, we faint not. We faint not. But though our outward man perish, though there's some things out here that happen that are painful, the inward man is renewed day by day. Notice this, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What did Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, tell the church at Corinth? He said, we're distressed on every side. We're troubled on every side. It, it, it doesn't look good, but here's what he said. He, he told them it all turns out right in the end. Victory is inevitable. And so we do not walk in fear. We do not walk in faith. We walk, I'm sorry, we do walk in faith. Don't scratch that from the record. We do walk in faith. We do not walk in anxiety. We trust and we walk. He said it, we faint not. Christian, victory is inevitable. Get your eyes off the things that are seen and get your eyes on the things which are not seen. If you know Christ, we have the ultimate and final victory. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I don't care how good your perception of your life is. I don't care where you graduated from college from. I don't care how successful your career has been. If you're here without Christ, you may perceive that you're living the good life, 
but tragedy is inevitable for you unless you begin a relationship with Christ as your personal Savior. And then I don't care what our perception of this life down here is. If we know Jesus as Savior, victory is inevitable. We may lose some battles, but he's already won the war. What did he tell his disciples in John 14? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me? You believe in God? Believe also in me? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming again. Victory is inevitable. So church, I'm closing my Bible. That lets you know I'm about done. Those that are here, what category do you find yourself in? The perception that the church is vulnerable, the world is powerful, and tragedy is inevitable? Or are you living in the reality of the believer? 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you living in the reality of the believer? The church is protected. God is powerful. And victory is inevitable. Church, let's live in the reality of Scripture, not the perception of current events. Can I say that one last time? Let's live in the reality of Scripture and not the perception of current events. The perception of current events in Acts 12 was not real good. The reality was better than they ever could have imagined. Peter was about to be miraculously delivered. Let's live in the reality of Scripture, not the perception. Let's look to the things that are not seen, not the things that are seen. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Thank you for your careful attention. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.